Hello, everybody. This is Stephen D. Kelly. This is the Stephen D. Kelly Show. This is Truthcat Radio, www.truthcatradio.com. It's Thursday at 6.01 p.m. Uh, it's 55 degrees and slight cloudy, a little partial, partial moon, I guess. I don't know what they're trying to say, but yeah, greetings. I don't have a name for the show. Oh, it's, we'll come up with something later, but I was just kind of trying to think of how I wanted to lead you into this. Because I had some basic ideas. I wanted to lash out at the enemy and try to, you know, strategize. I do the best I can to lead lead you guys the best I can before I'm, you know, gone. But a big event took place. If you haven't been paying attention, I know if you watch TV or you don't follow the internets, you might not have known about this. But uh, the silly boy, Tucker Carlson, God bless his heart went to Moscow and had an interview with Vladimir Putin. And anyway, that was like a couple of days ago. But he, as far as I know, he's still in Moscow. I haven't heard about him being allowed back in. They want to, they, <laughs> the European Union has been saying they want to put in, bar, uh, what is it, uh, sanctions on him and deny him travel. <clears throat> this kind of thing, really, really Nazi tactics. But this is all part of the big lesson that we're going to try to discuss tonight. Anyway, the interview was released in its entirety, in English, of course, on Twitter, which I, well, actually, I watched it on uh, Tucker's personal site, the Tucker, Tucker Carlson Network, TCN, uh, and, uh, you know, .com, TuckerCarlson.com, or whatever it is, and it was okay. Now, before the interview starts... He stands there and gives a kind of a preface, and he explains how at the beginning of the interview, and, you know, again, I'm not saying I like the guy, I'm not saying I like his style, but he does have a certain brazen attitude that allows for him to ask questions that buck against the trend, and obviously right now he's taking a lot of flack and being called a prop Putin propagandist, et cetera, et cetera, all this bullshit. But either way, he's ex-Fox, whatever, and his questions, for the most part, I think, the biggest thing I'm going to give you at the beginning here is that I sensed a lot of naive, not on just the part of Tucker, but also on the part of Vladimir Putin. And I think this is really important because I wanted to use this opportunity, this most recent interview that wasn't tainted. And, uh, well, let's just say that it was from an American approach, but at the same time, not edited. Everything was in context, and and I I think we got a a reasonably valid translation. So I feel this gives me a good opportunity to learn about the man. And he started out the interview with a history lesson, which took a few minutes. The interview was about a little over two hours, but at the beginning of the interview, he asked Tucker, he said, you want to, are we going to do have a real discussion here, or is this going to be just another TV interview thing? You know, he said, well, we're going to have a real discussion. He says, oh, well, in that case, you know, and then he proceeded to give the long-winded response, and he started out with the history lesson, which he explained later. He said that, well, Tucker, you've got a – apparently he was a history major in school, and at one time he actually had shown interest in becoming part of the CIA, which never happened supposedly – and Putin pointed this out, you know, with, with all the implications given Putin's previous uh, history in the KGB or whatever it was, FSB. Now, 
Tucker was a little taken aback because his first question basically was, uh, why did you do this? That kind of a thing. And he's, Putin came out with his little history lesson. He went back roughly, I believe, the 12th century, and he started from there, and he talked about the progression of the Russian Empire, uh, dealing with the Mongol hordes, the Golden Horde, etc., the dealing with the uh, the Finnish Empire, which became the Finnish Polish Empire, and all the various skirmishes leading up to today, basically trying to show the path, historical path, of how Ukraine always was part of historical Russia, what they consider Russia, and laid out the explanation for how the various different ideologies, especially the uh, the Nazi stuff that was from the West and the Polish side started up. But honestly, I think is you know, now Tucker, of course, he wasn't too happy about this. He said, oh, and he actually interrupted a couple times and Putin, he said, well, and Putin got mad at me for interrupting him. I don't think Putin was really that discouraged by his interruptions, but the point was that Tucker wasn't getting it. And of course, most Americans don't get this. And the history of Russia's uh, growth and especially its dealings with the West are critical to what it is today. Now, I did a show here not too long ago where we talked extensively about the Crimean campaign, uh, not the recent one, but the one that took place, the, the Crimean War that the British like to talk about so much. Critical event in Russian history, yet Vladimir didn't mention this. The other thing he didn't mention, which I think was really important, but he he skirted around, and I don't know, I've got to, again, this is all part of my assessment, but he left out the entire episode of the Khazar Empire and the defeat of the Khazar Empire and the creation of the Rus, the people known as the Rus, which didn't exist before that. They were a product of the fall of the Khazar Empire who had many refugees who went west into Lithuania. Now, when he talks about the Russian history, he gives a pretty good, I would say, Russian person, Russian uh, national view of the events and the differences and the policies and changes of what happened during the transition from being imperial Russia to communist uh, Soviet Union and back into Russian Federation. And he described this from his perspective, which, of course, you've got to remember, he was KGB during the CCP, the Soviet Union. But I've always wanted, as as, as an interviewer, to try to delve into his thinking because we see him basically as a lapdog to the head rabbi over there in Russia, which, of course, is the Chabad sect over there, because it's the largest sect. So Chabad controls the congregation, if you will, in Russia. It's very, very large next to the one in Ukraine. They skirt around this issue when they talk about, when he talks about the, the Bolshevists, and some of the decisions they made, 
one of the things that you'll hear Vladimir say quite a few times, and I should have really made a list of it. You could go back and listen to the interview uh, easily, but I'm sure everyone's going to be sharing links of it. He says, for reasons I don't understand, they did this. For unknown reasons, they did this. In other words, when he talks about parts Ukraine being disassembled or things being given and created, he did a very good job of explaining what the thinking was in the Soviet Union when they were creating Ukraine. But he also talks about this Ukrainian nationalization stuff that started in Poland that was essentially Nazi. And he said how even within the Soviet government, they maintain these same Ukrainian nationalist things going on. Now, and he acted like he couldn't understand it. So now, and it's very similar to what he's talking about, the, the motives of the, well, the CIA. Well, obviously we know what that is. We know that the Chabad sect, the one that basically came out of Lithuania festered in Kiev is responsible for this. And the other thing he didn't mention at all when he talks about the Bolshevists and the various things that they did under Lenin and Stalin and how some of those things were just, you know, nobody could understand. He doesn't mention that that whole philosophy came from Lithuania. It it festered in coffee houses. Zionism and Bolshevism didn't exist until they were created by the descendants of the Khazars that fled the conquest of the Rus and ended up over there in Lithuania, etc. And they came back. So he's not acknowledging that at all. And I really have to wonder if he really is that naive. And I think there is a certain degree of ingrained naivete. And I would say that as the Russian, the Russians seemed as a people, and I, you have to understand that here in the West, we're jaded. We're used to being screwed because we're usually the ones screwing people. These people come from a little different stock. They don't quite, they weren't raised that way. They, they do have this Christian thing going on. This, Putin talked about that, how important it was when this king, way back when, adopted the religion of his grandmother and took on Orthodox Christianity, and his, his court subsequently took it on, and then subsequently everybody in the Rus took it on. So they weren't, this wasn't coming from Rome. This was coming from the Greek side. What was left of the Byzantine Empire. A whole other thing that nobody likes to talk about. Well, anyway, this was a very important aspect. And he also said that, that this was going to be an overriding thing in the policies of the country, even though they were inclusive of all the other religions and always have been, which may be part of the problem here, but 
because this enemy is hiding behind a religion. And this enemy, this religion they're hiding behind, has become the number one religion, at least as far as the Hebrew sect, Hebrew group. Anyway, so I was a little, thought that was kind of bizarre. And I think if you look in history, there's constant examples of this naivete. Like I said, he didn't bring up Crimea, but basically Russia was tricked into launching a massive attack on Turkey by England. And <laughs> it was just to get their troops out in the open so England could attack them. Anyway, they have never gotten over that defeat. and They only recovered it because of the, the territory, because of World War One. Well, anyway, there's been other things that have happened even recently. For instance, Putin, who's been around here for at least the last 20 years, and you could say that, well, the real, for instance, the Ukraine operation, they've been planning that since Ronald Reagan. That's quite a few presidents ago. But how far do you need to go back? Bill Clinton? About that time, however many presidents ago that was, Russia actually asked the president of the United States, he said, can, uh, can we join NATO? This is Putin. Can we join NATO? This is Putin saying this to the world. Now, he's going to say a lot of things that no one's ever heard in the West, but he asked them, can we join NATO? The president, of course, didn't have an answer. He said, well, I don't know. i got to get back to you on that. This is important. Eventually, he did get back and said, well, no, that's a, that's a no. That's a, that's, he wasn't allowed. His, his, his advisors, whatever, they, they said no. Now, without even going any further, I'm going to say the quick lesson here that Putin learned real quick is it didn't matter what a president says because he could make a deal with any president, be it Bush, Trump, whoever, Clinton, and it wouldn't matter. It would get tossed out. And he always said it was because of the elites. He never said who those elites were. We know who those elites are, <clears throat> right? I don't need to say it. I don't need to point the fingers. But we know who those elites are. And they basically would kill any deal that went up. Now, for, for Russia and even Putin to even think for a second, and this did not go away, this thinking did not go away, but to even think for a second that NATO as a military body, a so-called force that was put together to keep peace in the world or peace in the region and stability and all this status quo, for him to think for a second that his country could join NATO is incredibly naive because the whole purpose of NATO, which was created by the Nazis, is to destroy Russia. It always has been. Always has been. It took over where the Nazis left off. And, of course, he talked quite a bit about his denazification efforts and why he thought that was so important, but how did he miss that? You know, another thing that Putin brought up tonight that I think was, well, in the interview was he talked about a deal that he made not too long ago, a deal that he put up 
I think it must have been Bush Sr. or could have been Bush Jr. I'm not sure. But about the time they were all bitching about threats of nuclear attack from rogue nations like Iran or North Korea, Russia comes along and says, hey, why not if we say take the United States, Europe, and Russia, and we combine efforts and we create this really cool missile shield capable of protecting the whole world, shooting down any rogue missiles coming from any of these countries. Now, remember, this is all the countries of Europe. This is a partner, okay? That's getting a lot of respect for those stupid idiots over there. The United States is a quasi-continent. I assume that includes Canada because they are, they are our lap dogs. And then Russia, which encompasses many, many time zones and a whole lot of geography. So obviously they would be carrying the brunt of the responsibility as far as being world nuke police, if that's what this system is all about. This is kind of like a super Star Wars only for the whole globe. This would have been a new world order, okay? A true new world order because other countries, like, you know, not just North Korea, but, oh, I don't know, China, you know? Hello, right, would be, you know, subject to not having the ability to launch nukes, having them taken down because these three countries would have been working together to be the nuke police. Okay? This is not BRICS. This is something completely different. Now, believe it or not, just like this NATO thing, when, when the Russians came up with this proposal, they were serious. They were, I mean... If come on, right? Is that not a really in your red flag that these guys are like, you know, rubes? Seriously, like, hello, the United States wants to nuke Russia. They don't want to go into deals like this. Now, technically, a lot of us know that ever since uh, whatever it was, World War II, supposedly this alliance between Russia or pseudo-Russia, and the United States continued in fight of the Nazis. And when I say Nazis, I'm talking about New Schwabenland Nazis, not the Nazis in Ukraine. One of the things that Tucker made a comment about that actually really shows just how bad the thinking is, because they got really close. They, I have to tell you, to be honest with you, the only time anyone even used the word Jew was when Putin was pointing out that Zelensky was a Jew, even though he was working with absolute Waffen-SS Nazis. He had a whole story about that, too. He says that Zelensky at one time, Zelensky's father was actually a, a fighter in the war who fought against the Nazis. And here this guy is joining the very supporting the very same people that, that he was, his father was fighting. And they suggested that, well, you know, there's more money, they have more control, more power, yada, yada, whatever. Anyway, obviously the United States and the Western powers have no interest in trying to make some sort of brotherly, friendly thing. Because when the Soviet Union ceased to exist and Russia became, I mean, the way Putin described it, he said, Hey, guys, we're, we're as bourgeois as you now. What the hell? 
you know, why don't you let us join your little club? Let us, you know, let us be like a European country. Let's, let's, let's make business and act like a regular country. They really believed that that could ever happen because the whole time this was happening, they, the elite, as Putin describes them, wanted to kill them. Again, who are these elite? They are the Khazars, the guys that are based in Kiev, the ones that will do anything to get their territory back. And, the, and I'll tell you, before I go on, I've only been there 22 minutes, but the, the thing is about the United States, and, the, and it's not really the United States, of course, it's just the, the so-called collective West, the people that have been duped into, uh, well, are under the control of these elites, as, as Putin calls them. They've bet, they've bet everything. They've bet the house. They bet the car. They bet their children's education. They bet they they bet the wives' wedding ring. They bet their underwear. They bet their pants. They bet everything. The collective West took everything and let it ride on number eight or whatever. You know, eight number black number eight, whatever. Okay, some stupid thing because seriously, for whatever reason. Whatever reason, somehow, the collective West, the entire collective West, with all its, well, dollar power and corruption power and everything else that we use to get to where we are, it's going to die because, basically, we've been beat. Now... I don't really have to tell you. I mean, I could give you an update on what's going on in, in Ukraine, and I could tell you that, uh, well, <laughs> let me see. What is it? Over 1,000 men a day die. Ukrainians die. Over 1,000 men a day. Seriously, guys, think about it. They don't. It's, it's not good. Uh, they really do plan on relocating the capital from Kiev to Lvov. They're actually making... Plans. It's almost like it's written in stone because other European countries are actually trying to work out various different pipelines and new uh, transportation structures going into that city now, this western part of Ukraine. And they're getting ready to dump their military commander. I mean, they've already technically dumped the military commander, uh, Zeluzhny, and they don't really have a replacement. They They want to take the guy who is the head of the, well, I don't know what you call him, the head spy, the secret, the uh, SBU, I guess that's what they call it. Uh, what's his name? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. But Budnov, Budnovsky, anyway. He, this guy, first of all, he's not a military commander. He doesn't have any experience. But the point is, is if they lose this war, like they're going to lose it the next month or so, two months at most, they, uh, they think they're going to have an insurgency. Now, insurgency, that means like, like in Iraq, when the soldiers are walking around and they've got people trying to set up IEDs or pretend they're civilians and, and setting up uh, uh, ambushes and things like this. Obviously, <laughs> I mean, come on, seriously, right? Th this is what the plan is, and it, it's getting really pretty ridiculous. Uh, I should mention also here, this is kind of a new thing, but apparently... There was a pretty huge amount of uh, money that went to Ukraine here recently. They think they're saying now that close to 57 percent 
of all the money or all the weapons, actual weapons now sent to Ukraine, I'm not talking cash for Zelensky, but actual weapons are gone, can't be accounted for. They, and I'm not saying blown up in the field. I'm saying when they try to do inventory, they're not showing up on the books. Okay, 57%. That's uh, it's a huge amount of money, huge amount of money. So the point is, is when you look at this situation, uh, and again, I'm not really talking about, right. well, I'll, I'll finish talking about the Putin here real quick before I go on to the other things I want to talk about. But all in all, I, I think that, again, the naivete comes from the whole Russian psyche. And, and they don't have that anymore. And I think he, dis, he displayed that at the end of the thing. Their, their generosity for the West is over. Uh, they haven't forgotten this deal to make this Star Wars thing. And when we said no to that, when the United States, States said said no, we're not going to make we're not going to uh, go into a deal with you to basically have the th- three groups protect the rest of the planet. We'd rather not do that. Russia said okay, and that's when they started developing their hypersonic missiles, which obviously can overwhelm all of our Star Wars and everything else right now pretty easily. Anyway, we've, we've kind of lost this, this game. And I, and I do think that re- this guy was reaching out to us. Putin was certainly reaching out to us. Uh, and I give him a lot of credit for that. And he did flat out say that they have no interest in these other countries whatsoever. But he also very thoroughly explained that they had no, th- in, again, naivete, they never thought for a second that this country that was basically created by these these idiot Bolshevists from bits of Poland, bits of uh, Romania, bits of Germany, whatever, that made Ukraine bits of bits of Russia, modern Ukraine. It, for instance, the coast, the Black Sea area, all that, Crimea, was never part of anything close to what was this territory that they're, they're claiming was Ukraine. It never existed. So they were completely surprised that after the fall of the, the, the Iron Curtain, that this country would go in the opposite pole. Because I'll tell you, they, were, they think in terms of like brotherhood, brotherhood, working together. Unlike the West, where everyone's trying to screw everybody, their whole society is based on this concept of family and the and the country being part of that family extended family unlike the west of course we try to destroy families so they don't do things that are destructive to the family and they and they couldn't understand to them the, the ukrainians this this territory this geography that had been artificially created by people like uh, brezhnev etc they just thought that was part of their country. This is why they have all this industry over there, like uh, Aeroflot, and parts are made for parts are, in Russia are made for Ukrainian stuff, and Ukrainian parts are made to go into Russian stuff. It was like one big cooperative thing. That's how they thought. They never, in their dreams, thought that this was going to be taken over by the West. Let alone have NATO come in, and um, it, NATO didn't come in and say, we're going to build bases. They came in and basically started training Ukrainian troops 
and setting up facilities to do that, which were basically NATO bases. So they didn't have any choice. Now, this kind of brings me to the gist of the thing. Well, okay, one more thing I'll say about Putin. Towards the end of the interview, the two-hour interview, whatever it was, uh, Tucker threw him a little curveball, and he said, will you release this prisoner that they had, which was apparently this Wall Street Journal uh, person, employee. And I, I suspect that this person is probably Jewish and was actually working as a spy. And I think he was in some bizarre, obscure part of the country in the hinterland, uh, you know, in the vicinity of a facility that made advanced weaponry of some sort. You know, the CIA is very busy trying to collect as much information as they can. You know, they'd like to get inside these places and get stuff, you know, that kind of thing. So, and of course, Russia is a vast territory. So when you consider that somebody from the Wall Street Journal is somewhere, you know, to be... To, to, to be flowery, I could say he's bumfuck, but seriously, they don't, they have these factories scattered everywhere. Well, Putin basically said no. He says, well, you know what? Normally we consider this stuff, gestures like this, uh, appropriately. But he said, this situation, we don't, we don't have anymore. We don't, we don't. He all about. He basically came out and said, "We're all out of fucks to give. We we've been nice plenty of times, and you guys have just screwed us. We're over being nice about this stuff." He said, "However, that doesn't mean that we're completely not going to consider it, and we would expect reciprocation. Obviously, that means if you want this person, you better give us somebody of equal value." Well, I, I certainly can understand uh, both of their perspectives. I mean, Tucker, obviously, he wanted to come home as a hero, the one who got the big, blad, big, big bad Vlad, the, the Putin, to release this American prisoner, uh, you know, who we know is a spy, you know. But, uh, of course, in the media, they think he's just, you know, media. Well... Tucker, of course, is going to have trouble. He's already got this hanging over his head. They, he's, he's already being called a, a propagandist and a puppet and a tool and a stooge and, you know, everything else that you could imagine horrible. And he thought if he did this that he could come back. Now, I don't know. There is a possibility he may still do it, you know, because I don't know if he's still there. And I haven't heard anything. And, of course, like I said, they kicked me off Twitter for at least a week, so I don't get the, the lowdown on this stuff. I'll hear about it if something happens like that. But uh, I don't think it's going to happen. But it, I kind of thought, well, gee, Mr. Putin, that would be an awful nice thing for you to do that. But at the same time, Putin doesn't have to do it. They're winning the war. They're, they've, they've taken every single sanction and, and everything that the United States and the collective West can throw at it. Their economy is doing great. Their BRICS is doing great. All of the economies of the BRICS countries are doing great. It's a growing thing. And the, the, the amount 
of the gross national product of the countries of, say, the BRICS countries versus the G7 has changed significantly. G7's gone down. BRICS has gone up. This is not something that is going to reverse course anytime soon, especially when you consider what's being done to all of the so-called Western countries. Now, I'm not in Europe. You know what's going on. You know about the farmers' protest. hope the farmers get what they want. But, of course, you've got to understand that the people in power don't give a shit. And I'm talking about Europe right now, these so-called elites, these people in power. They, they don't give a shit. For instance, the Greens Party. They will flat out say, they're the party that controls Germany, they will flat out say that the will of the voter, the will of the people is irrelevant to them. They're going to do what they're going to do. And they're not worried about it because they know there's a good group of people, I discussed this last week, that will vote for them no matter what. These are liberal types, people that think that the world needs to be depopulated, Satanists, all that good stuff. The vermin, the liberal vermin that have been created and bred, taught, programmed. Remember, the university system has been producing these people. This, we have, first of all, you have to remember, we have a very selfish system. The whole world is basically a very selfish system. And this is the product of it. Now, we know who the fifth column is. But this fifth column are the same people, the same tribe that thinks that all the countries of Europe with all their distinct cultures, cultures and their identities should be homogenized, balkanized. Well, not balkanized so much. They want to do that to Russia, but homogenized, turned the same color by flooding the countries with people from Africa, the Middle East and places where Let's just say people are predominantly dark-skinned and black hair, that kind of a thing. But if you look at a country today, like you take your pick, it's some places it's worse than others. It's hard for me to say, but again, Ireland, it's pretty bad. They want to make it so that people are born in Ireland, people that have carried those genetic aspects of these people in that country for so long, managed to maintain it inside their borders. They're trying to wipe that out in one generation. They're trying to wipe that out. And you can see it right now in the faces of the leaders, Sunak, these types. Ireland's the same, of course. These are not people from those countries. Germany, Europe is lost. Now, the United States, of course, is a whole other situation because we have always been a melting pot. And we, of course, are probably one of the countries, well, except for maybe Portugal, that have best assimilated the former slave population. And obviously, we're thought of as a very racist country, et cetera, et cetera. But I got to be honest with you. When I look at the whole issue of that, Slavery, and this is certainly something that applies to the Getty, is that the slavery never stopped. It went underground. What we're trying to do, this whole freeing the children, the, the human trafficking, 
That's slavery, people. Kidnapping, imprisoning, torturing, molesting, killing, disposing of. That's slavery. There's no difference. It's never stopped. Now, just for, you know, quick reference, I'll just point out real quick here that all of the boats, all of them, all of the slaver ships were owned by Jews, okay? And that's not Chabad Jews, that's not whatever. They were owned by Jews. That's just the way it is. That is a fact, okay? I'm not, I'm not being racist. I'm not being anti-Semitic, you know, anti-Phoenician, whatever. I'm just telling you. They were all owned by Jews. And I'll tell you something else. Why did they have slaves? Why? Well, I'm sure they had lots of reasons in other places, but in the United States, it was primarily for the cotton industry and the labor-intensive harvest of cotton. Now, obviously, a lot of money was made for plantation owners and certain elite types in the South. And I know... When I say slavery never stopped, you're all thinking, oh, those plantation guys are still at it? No. <laughs> no, it's not the plantation guys. But you got to remember, that bale of cotton, once it went overseas and went to the UK and was turned into cloth, which was turned into clothing, which ended up in the fine menswear sections of the various haberdasheries over there in London and elsewhere. You took material that was relative. You took a, a, a cotton commodity, the cotton, the raw cotton, something that's like dirt cheap compared to what it's turned into. Once it becomes thread, once it becomes cloth, once it becomes clothing, the added value multiplies by many decimal points. You understand? So in other words, that wealth that was driving that country, that's where it came from. And I'll tell you, once again, I'll remind you guys, there was a time when the, there were not a whole lot of Jews in Britain because they had been cast out like all these other countries. And again, I'm not being anti-Semitic, I'm just sharing some history with you. And it wasn't until Oliver Cromwell, himself a Jew, go figure, in Parliament, basically made a deal to lift restrictions on merchant activity, merchant activity, and he brought in Jews from the Netherlands. And this, of course, became the Dutch East India Company, the first multinational. The first multinational. Think about that. Multinational, that means... A corporation that has no borders, has no limits politically. Kind of like that's the problem right there, huh? Has no laws, doesn't, doesn't recognize laws because why would it? It's its own country, it's its own entity, especially if it goes underground. We know that. Anyway, point is, is that you guys let that shit happen. Over there, and again, I'm I'm chastising the British. When you had your war with Napoleon and your allies, 
Russia, who did the heavy lifting, defeated Napoleon. Remember that? The most populous country in Europe, France. And of course, Rothschild Bank, you know, short sold the, your entire country. And you guys all bought it. And they basically cashed in and bought everything in the, in the UK. And uh, took over. Bank of England, yeah, woo-ha. And no one ever said anything about it. You didn't care. And this has been going on in our country. You enforced, you enforced a central bank on us when we went and had a revolution just to get rid of your, your, your central bank money, your British money. You tried to take away our colonial money. And then we had our war of 1812. And then uh, guess what? We, you kicked our asses. You burned down our White House. And we had to go get a central bank again in care of your, your agent, Hamilton. You never, you never stopped. Your Rothschilds never stopped. They caused our civil war. They caused all kinds of things. They, they assassinated our presidents. They started the Illuminati. It's the same Frankist remnants of the Khazar Empire that are doing all this. That's who it is. That's what the Rothschilds are. Those people. And now you've got people flooding over the border in the United States that nobody wants to talk about. They'd rather talk about trying to get money to Israel. I mean, the world is hinging on us getting a hundred, what, sixty sixty billion to Ukraine, like that's gonna do anything. Fifteen, whatever, fifty billion to Israel, probably more like fifteen, a little bit of money to Taiwan, and any bit of money to the border, so supposedly. That's what this is all about. And, and our representative, what's his name, idiot Johnson, whatever, he's trying to make a special deal so that just Israel, his, his authority or his uh, loyalty, excuse me, his authority comes from Israel, his loyalty is certainly to Israel. The most important thing in the world to him is getting money to Israel. And yet never mind that every day, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 people, illegals from every country we can imagine are pouring over the border. Not nicely. They're not coming from Copenhagen. They're not coming from Denmark. They're not coming from Germany. They're not coming from Britain. They are coming from China. They're coming from African countries. They're coming from everywhere. And you know, here's the thing. Whether they want to, whether you want to believe it or not, our government, our you know so-called democratic government, is paying for it. There's plenty of proof that these illegals, if you want, whatever you want to call them, immigrants, are being paid. They're getting debit cards to help them pay for their per diem. They're getting a per diem. We're paying them a per diem. And when they get here, not only do does Biden go over there and lift up the Barbar, I let him in. They're bust all over the country. People are kicked out of shelters and everything else. Schools are closed just to house these people, and they're given money, and they will be put into society. And the idea is to integrate these people as quick as possible and get them to the point to where they can vote because elections can be made by as many as 20 million people. And all they got to do is get 20 million illegals in here, enough to tip the scales, and it will be forever 
this socialist weird ass thing going on that they're calling the government right now. And I'm not saying this in support of Trump because I personally think that Trump's going to win, even though I don't like the guy. And even though is Putin also very correctly pointed out when he said, we don't understand what's going on over there in the United States. For instance, he said that how is it that a state could veto, nullify a candidate that's trying to run for a federal office? How does that work out? That doesn't make any sense at all. And I totally understand it because I realize that 50 states, 50 secretaries of state, 50 hurdles and obstacles that you have to get through to get past the party machine the status quo, and the system put in place to keep people like me off the ballot. Very effective, extremely effective. And yeah, Putin pointed that out very, very accurately. Very, how astute can you be? And of course, he's saying this because of the nonsense involving Trump and the Georgia ballot and what have you. Yeah, that's an affront to democracy, as they like to say. Now, I'll tell you, for you people that don't understand the difference between a Democrat and a Republican, Republicanism basically believes that the citizens of the country are the people that live in the country, within the borders of the country, that were born there or naturalized citizens. That's what they believe. So if you're visiting, that doesn't make you a citizen. If you're on the territory, but you're visiting, you haven't gone through the process of being naturalized, you know, the whole citizenship process, you're not a citizen until you do that. And they believe that the value of the country is based on those citizens. They believe that the population of citizens in the country, much like you like to think with the maritime law, actually are the value the equity of the country and the va- and the value that comes from the work of those people is the gross national product. It is the equity that is the basis of our financial system, that is the basis of our monetary system. And that is a colonial money system that doesn't involve gold, but it involves the value of the people that are citizens. So, of course, if you want to kill that and make that not work, You have to flood the country with people that aren't citizens, give them the benefit, but not get the benefit of their efforts put into the equation. Because remember, the value of the country is the value of those efforts. So the democratic system, the democracy, the the DNC, what do they believe? And this is the real key of why they open up the borders is because they believe any inhabitant, anybody that is an inhabitant, doesn't matter for how long. Once you cross into that border, they believe that that's all it means for you to be a citizen. Crowd in. Come on, crowd in. The more the merrier. Here's a ballot. Vote for us. That's the entirety of democracy. They think, And basically what that means when you get down to it is to be a Democrat means that you don't believe in borders. Because certainly your reach, what you're trying to influence, extend beyond the actual borders of our country. And that is a corruption of our republic system that we were based on. So this is all very amazing to me. And how how did that all happen by those same people? Well, let's put it bluntly. 
the same people that opened up the gates and let the Babylonians in there to destroy the temple, those people did it. The same people that opened up the gates and let the Romans in to destroy the temple, they did it. The same people that got kicked out of Russia or Khazaria and went into, you know, Lithuania and created Zionism and Bolshevism and went back into Kiev and started spreading it around the world and, you know, gave us, you know, genocide, World War II, Paul Pot, Chairman Mao, all that wonderful, wonderful death. Hell, let's not leave out King Leopold. You know, nobody wants to talk about King Leopold, Leopold of Belgium. Belgium wants to think that it's this righteous country that controls the West and that we're supposed to give a shit about Belgium. I'm sorry. I like your chocolate, but as far as I'm concerned, you're a non-country. You were created by the Rothschilds, and this Leopold bastard went into the Congo and killed 100 million people. You know, it's, it's come on, people, 100 million people. Nobody likes to talk about it because there are 100 million black people in the Congo in the middle of Africa. Oh, that's in the middle of the African continent. We're never going to see those people. All those hands that cut off and all those graves, whatever it was. 100 million people, guys. Seriously. And I understand the Americans probably killed off 100 million Native American Indians here during the Western expansion. And sure, we stole half the country uh, from, from Mexico. Yeah, we're, we're all screwed. You know, you, these borders and this, this territory, it's like, it's like when Tucker asked, asked Putin, he said, well, gee, since Ukraine was made up of all these countries, are you saying that uh, Hungary, you know, Viktor Orban, should he go and demand to go to take back that territory that was taken away from Hungary long ago? He's like, well, we're certainly not going to tell him anything like that. But at the same time, he's not going to complain about it either. That's why Russia's only interested in the territory that was their territory, not the territory that was Poland or, or Hungary or, or, or Germany, you know, the Danzig Corridor. you got to remember, guys, after World War II, they carved everything up, really. I mean, Poland got a whole lot of territory from Germany, you know, so it, it didn't hurt so bad when Poland had lost territory to Ukraine because it got all this territory from Germany. Does that mean... If, if Poland takes that territory back from Ukraine, that they're going to give up the territory, Danzig Corridor, all that, uh, to Germany? I don't think so. So this stuff is, is pretty significant. And I'll tell you, we're, we're going to face a civil war here. When I say civil war, I'm talking about something pretty significant. I'm surprised it hasn't happened in Europe already, but with the farmers and all this stuff going on, that's, that's pretty big. But in this country... With, with Biden trying to let these people in, with the sheer number of these people coming in, with the number of people trying to stop it, with the fact that Texas and all these states who basically want to send in militias and National Guards to, to stop this inflow of these people. The, these are enemy people, all right? They're, they're not just nice immigrants. It's a matter of time before they are turning into monsters like they are turning into in Europe, Okay, they will destroy our system and our way of life. And I can tell you this shit is going to blow up. And when it does blow up, it is going to be a race war. And this is exactly what they want. And it's, when I say race war, it's not just going to be black versus white and this kind of thing, immigrant versus, uh, you know, 
citizen, although that's probably going to happen, it's also going to be against the people that let this happen. It's just like in Germany. The people that consistently vote and keep those greens in power that brought about this genocide and the complete destruction of, of Germany, those sooner or later somebody's going to take those people out, those, those Chablis drinking, whatever they are. Bottom line is the same thing's going to happen here. There's going to come a time where certain people are going to want to physically do something about these people that have been enabling this and have been passing these laws. Now, I understand this is programming, this is whatever, this is politics, this is democracy run amok, bad schools, too much soy, vaccinations, too much TV. You could blame it on all kinds of things, but it basically it's going to turn into a genocide, and this was why these bastards are building these damn bunkers. Now, I'll tell you, why am I not on Twitter right now for a week? Because I said... And apparently the words don't matter because apparently this was connected to a image that was probably anti, you know, Zionist from some sort. But it said, we subhumans will end this evil. Very simple sentence. We subhumans, of course, when I say subhumans, that means goyim, you know, and you know who was referring to us as subhumans. We're just a bunch of subhumans. But we're going to end that evil. We know that. Now, when I think about the semantics of what I said, is was it right for them to give me a timeout? Personally, I don't think so. When I think, oh, ending evil, there's nothing wrong with ending evil. But I realize it's that subhuman thing, saying subhuman, even if I'm saying it in the context of me being a subhuman, that's unacceptable. That's like saying there are subhumans. So you realize what's happening. The very people that have coined this bullshit— the people that call us the subhumans, it's like accuse it's like what Joseph Goebbels said. He said, accuse the enemy of that of which you are guilty. They're the ones calling us subhumans, but if you even say the word, oh, oh, look, they're saying this anti-human, subhuman bullshit. They did that. It's like the pedophiles calling you a pedophile if you try to display examples of pedophilia in a movie or something. I remember the first time I did that, I, I took an image from the movie Titanic, which was basically one of uh, DiCaprio's drawings. And it was a, it was a pedophile drawing. It was uh, some guy's hand over the chest of what was clearly a little girl. Pencil drawing. But that image was enough to get deleted or banned or whatever, you know, time out on Facebook. And I'm thinking, here I am trying to say, look, look at this right in your face from this movie. A movie that's been all over the world, one of the biggest movies ever. But, but if you show a single frame from that movie, you're committing a violation. So the very enemy are the ones creating the tools that they're going to use against us. If we say anything about them, we're being anti-Semitic. If we, if we use the words that they use against us, the names that they call us, we're being anti-human, we're being hateful and, and racist. So they're controlling the narrative, and that's how they keep us in check. So once again, I have to remind myself and you, if it's not too late, that Occupy the Gay is the only thing you should be talking about. 
because that's the one thing they can't say. That's the one thing they can't attack us on. That's the one thing. What can they do? Say we're Q, say we're this, say we're that. We have to make them force us to explain it because they can't explain it. And sooner or later, the people are going to ask what it is. And, and again, that's our only tool. And if we don't do that, we all suck. Okay. And I tell you, the older I get, the harder it is for me to keep the faith. And I know we win this, but it's, it's rough. Okay. I want to be over it. Okay. I, I miss having a life. I, I hate the thought of growing old and have nothing except this mission. Okay. That's where I'm at. Nothing but the mission. Seriously. The mission doesn't do a lot of good at night. Okay. The cat's more useful. The mission doesn't really do me good. It's nice to be loved and appreciated by all of you and all the people in the future. They may get inspired by this work. But at the same time, you know, whatever you think of me as some great person, this is not a great life, okay? It sucks. But somebody's got to do it. You want to help me do it. Sorry for the segue, but we're running out of time. If you want to send me bucks, you can send them to the PayPal. And of course, obviously, I'm still, you know, the more money I get, the more I can spend on my teeth. <laughs> uh, you know, fun stuff like that. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, if you want to help out, of course, please, you have to use PayPal and you got to send it to Stephen Kelly714 at yahoo.com. And you got to say it's for a friend or family. Got to check that so I can actually take it and I don't have to send it back to you. And I do appreciate every little bit. And that's it, you know. I don't want you to think that I'm uh, I'm doing this for the money, and I, I certainly there's not enough of you listening <laughs> for for this uh, plea to really make much difference. But every little bit helps, okay? So I do appreciate it, at least as long as I'm alive. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, I guess if I lose the mission, what am I going to do? It's not like I can retire and enjoy my life. I wouldn't have anything. But well, I got you guys, and that's that's really it. So I'm I'm here until I I drop dead, which is you know I can see it, but hopefully I'll I'll see something good happen in the world first, and I'll tell you the way things are going on with these uh, you know domestic issues and international issues, pretty scary stuff. All right, so help me out and tune in and join my Telegram and. Make some noise on Twitter and say, why are you persecuting Stephen D. Kelly? Whatever. Okay, bottom line, occupy the Getty. Stop talking about anything else. You know, be crazy. All of you that are joining and becoming Jedi and stuff like that right now, I do appreciate you. Uh, just work harder. I know you're tired of hearing me say that, but work harder. <laughs> That's all we got right now, okay? Occupy the Getty. That is it. Not save our children. Not anything else. Not... Save the children of the world. It's Occupy the Getty. Period. All right, people? I appreciate it. All right, once again, you've been listening to the Stephen D. Kelly Show. My name is Stephen D. Kelly, and this is Truthcat Radio, www.truthcatradio.com. My email, not the, not the Stephen Kelly 714 at Yahoo, which is the PayPal. My email is law17gun at AOL.com. That's where you go to get correspondence with me or get a copy of the book or learn to be a Jedi or uh, uh, get healing, which is free, okay, any day of the week. All right, don't wait. Get it. Uh, 
get it while I'm here. Okay, people? Don't don't wait till I'm gone. Go, yeah, he could do healing. Yeah. Get it while I'm here. Okay. Uh what else? That's that's it. Again, DB Kelly, join join all my stuff, okay? And get the fire and get out there and do the work. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. I'll uh I'll see you on the flip side, okay guys? <sighs> With that, I'll say good night. God bless, adios, and goodbye.